The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Francis Watch on member-supported Restoration Radio. My name is Dan Fitton, your host, and today I am joined by His Excellency, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary, Brooksville, Florida, Bishop Donald Sanborn, and Reverend Father Anthony Chicada, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great, Cincinnati. Welcome, my Lord and Father. Thank you for having me. Uh, nice to be here, as usual. Well, it's been a a few weeks since we last had the chance to discuss the unholy Father Francis, a.k.a. George Bergoglio. And um, on today's show, we're going to discuss um, fruits of Amoris Aetitia in action. Um, uh, I've got a topic called, entitled, The Strange Things He Says. And you have to read that in an American accent. Um, And... um, that I think the uh, the icing on the cake or the cherry on the cake for this show will be our discussion on the filial correctors, um, as I don't think this has been discussed much on any of our shows recently. So um, I'll crack into the first part. There's another uh, English word for you there, my lord. Just cracking along today. <laughs> um, part one, then. Amoris Letizia in action. So... Uh, in my research for this show, I have um, found several examples of the fruits of Amoris Laetitia. And um, in some circles in the Novus Ordo Church, it, it's well taken. In others, as we'll find out later on, um, it's not so well taken. So I just wanted to highlight um, a few examples today of Amoris Laetitia in action and how it deviates drastically from true Catholic doctrine. Um, so the first one, um, the first example I have today is from when uh, Bergoglio was actually, he did a state visit in the beginning of September to Colombia. And whilst he was in Colombia, he did several um, typical Bergoglio things. Um, however, the first one I'd like to um, highlight is um, uh, the Colombian professor um, Galat, Jose Galat, that we um, previously mentioned in our last show. Um, apparently, he's now been excommunicated um, for his schismatic attitude because he criticised Bergoglio. So, what what do we make of that? Yes, I think this is an this is an exa- uh, just uh, the first example of uh, you know the joy of love. In <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, th- this is the so-called Pope who said years ago, shortly after he was elected, that uh, he likes to be criticized. You know that that this is this is good that, that people criticize him and that uh, you know they point out what they don't like about him. But I guess uh, that can get you into trouble if it's about his doctrine and the fact that it, it deviates from Catholic doctrine. That's what this. Uh, this Jose Galat was saying, 
And uh, so it just, I always say that they bring out the panzer tanks uh, only <laughs> when it has to do with defending Catholic doctrine. Then they, they act as if, with all of the authority that the pre-Vatican II hierarchy used to condemn error, See, then they become you know, just, just uh, super authoritarian and they protect their, their heresy by means of all of the weapons of the Catholic Church uh, against those who would criticize their heresy as being unorthodox. And they've been at this for a long time. Uh, you know, in the 60s, the typical um, uh, Vatican II bishop uh, was absolutely brutal when it came to people who raised uh, objections against, uh, say, different abuses in his diocese, or uh, especially criticized the uh, liberals in the diocese. That uh, you, you had priests who were subject to all sorts of, of uh, persecution and put on the outs. Again, it's the hypocrisy of the modernists. They're quite happy to use that, that so-called authority that they have uh, to stamp out anything they think is illiberal. It has happened again and again and again uh, over the past 50 years. Uh, I mean, when you think that this person has been excommunicated, yet Hans Kung, who does not believe that Christ is God and does not believe that the Pope is infallible, when he teaches ex cathedra, he you know he's plain about those things, and who has said publicly that the assumption of Our Lady is an assumption. Uh, I heard him say it on television years ago, that he is a priest <laughs> in good standing, and that he is uh, in, uh, you know a, a Catholic priest in in the eyes of this uh, modernist hierarchy. Whereas somebody who will say this, instead of coming back at him and saying, well, why don't we have a discussion? Why don't we have a debate? Why don't we, uh, uh, you know, in some way look at what you're saying? They, they just, as I said, bring out the panzer tanks and crush him. Uh, and this is true. Any, I think Father Chikata would probably second this, but when uh, you meet these prelates in airports and, and or Novus Ordo priests, it's the same thing, the same reaction of they, they, they shut up immediately and shut you out immediately and uh, just walk away or uh, make some sort of comment that uh, essentially drop dead. You know, that, that is their entire attitude toward anybody that would bring up an objection to what they're doing. And here, you know, they're, they're, you know the religion is, has fallen apart completely, and they are losing people in the pews, and you know, the whole thing is unraveling, but they, they hold on to this as, as something that uh, you know, the church really needs, and anybody who would oppose it is sick. And remember that the last time we did Francis Watch, I think we cited... Uh, Bergoglio, where he said, when I see young people who are rigid, I say that they're sick. See, this is... Yeah. yeah. So typical of, of the modernist. And, and he is the cure, but you can't exactly criticize him for having the cure. Right. Otherwise, he won't give it to you. Well, the, the, you, you, you mentioned about being cut off by Novus, Bishop, Novus Ordo bishops in the airport. That happened to me in my travel days at least twice. Uh, once by the Bishop of Buffalo, 
and uh, uh, another time by the Archbishop of Cincinnati. But uh, Father McKenna reported in his last trip through uh, Boston that uh, he saw um, uh, the the cardinal of of, of uh, Boston, the the bearded guy, the Capuchin, who is actually on the the on the Council of Nine, and uh, so he saw him and uh, waved a little bit from the other side of of uh, the room of the Admirals Club, and uh, the guy the guy turned away with his coffee and headed off in the other direction. Because um, Father, uh, for a while, had, I think, belonged to a group in Boston that got quite a bit of publicity, and it's, it's O'Malley. Uh, O'Malley recognized him and didn't want to have anything to do with him. So this is the, the uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, caresses of love and dialogue uh, that you get from these people. You know, they, 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 they cut you off. Yeah. No, they're full of hypocrisy. They're Pharisees. And then they, uh, you know, if if the priest were uh, doing, uh, you know, marriages of people who couldn't get married or homosexual marriages, he would come right over and say, how are you doing? And pat him on the back. And, you know, I'm really interested in your apostolate and all of that stuff. But to to make the statement that they are doing something wrong is to them uh, deeply offensive and um I think that reaction shows bad faith uh, and pertinacity. It's, uh, 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 I, I think so. I think, and it's typical of a heretic. A heretic is a fanatic inside. He's he's a a person who who has is attached to his own ideas against the teaching of the church, and so that involves a certain fanaticism and and. Um, Oh, I, I don't know, boldness. Uh, and, and in the history of the church, they're all the same. I mean, look at how Henry VIII enforced his schism uh, in England uh, and how the, uh, the Roman Emperor Constantius enforced Arianism, that if, if you were a Catholic bishop, you, in many cases, especially in the East, you faced uh, exile if you would not go along with the program. And so it's very typical of heretics. Whereas the Catholic Church wants to convert the heretic, uh, for example, uh, the Pope sent a Cardinal um, Cajetan to see Luther and then sent uh, Tetzel to have a public debate with him. So there were overtures uh, to Luther in order to bring him around. And the Catholic Church uh, invited the Protestants to the Council of Trent uh, Pius IX invited the uh, Greek schismatics to the Vatican Council in 1870 in order precisely to convert them, to, to air their, their difficulties and, and have discussions. That, that is the Catholic attitude toward the erring person and the heretic is to try to draw them back uh, by certainly kindness on the one hand, but at the same time insisting that they convert. You know, it's not ecumenism. Uh, but, uh, you know, the heretic just shuts you out. And that, this is typical. Um, another example of uh, Bergoglio's attitude um, was um, whilst he was in Colombia, he, he naturally met with the nation's president as a, as a head of state. I'm, I'm saying head of state in uh, quotation marks there. Um, uh, so he, he met the nation's president and guess what? Uh, the 
president of Colombia is, quote, married again um, to uh, another woman. And um, Bergoglio blessed the union of uh, both the the of, of the president and um, his his um, not wife. Um, and it, that, again, that's a public act of him performing um, his great exhortation in action. Yes, uh, actions speak louder than words, uh, but he has given us the words that uh, the uh, most liberal and modernist interpretation of um, Amoris Laetitia, and when I say that, there is no other because it's quite clear, uh, but you know uh, that, that the you can commit adultery, uh, you can commit fornication. Sometimes God wants you to commit adultery to hold the family together. That's in there. Uh, the that now you know he's done exactly that. He's accompanied these people, and and he's blessed uh, a marriage that doesn't exist because you know you have to hold the family together. Uh, it, it's. You know, this is a complete breakdown of the Catholic faith. I mean, anybody that is trying to make Catholicism out of this has lost his mind. Yeah, the, um, uh, as you say, the actions speak louder than words. And uh, there have been some who initially tried to put a uh, more Catholic spin on what this, this clown said. But it simply, doesn't, uh, it simply doesn't work. He does things in the practical order that uh, contradict it. And this is just, uh, just another example of it. So uh, the uh, people who, the, the few now on the conservative side who still, still try to defend him are living in, obviously, in la-la land. And I think more and more of them are coming to realize it. As, as we'll uh, allude to later on, I think. Um, but moving on to uh, more examples. Um, so I've got, I've got a couple of um, examples of a more satitia, and then I've got a really uh, an interesting uh, quote from a world leader. Um, so uh, uh, that just pri- uh, warns my lord and father to uh, prep some good comments there. Um, so uh, a Canadian cardinal has recently said he will offer funerals for those who are euthanized or murdered um, with the, uh, the the comment, I think, echoing Francis, who are we to judge? And this is uh, Cardinal Gérard Lacroix of um, Q- Archbishop of Quebec and the primate of Canada says he doesn't oppose church funerals for Catholics who choose to be killed by lethal injection. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not referring to those um, prisoners who are um, killed by capital punishment, uh, which which is another another story. I think uh, we can another point we can get to later on. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, um, Lacroix does say he could foresee denying a Catholic funeral when the euthanized person has publicly advocated for legal euthanasia in a direct contradiction to Catholic teaching. So he says. This is a very strange statement from a cardinal that says, um, on the one hand, I don't object to um, someone asking for a lethal objection, but I object if you have um, advocated for legal, legal, legal euthanasia in the past. That's a very... Well, it's a typical double clock. That's, <laughs> it's the type of... Du- uh, I mean, that's how they, they try to save themselves, that they, they um, tip their hat to uh, some sort of a principle... And in practice, they deny it. 
and that's just uh, just what they're doing here. And, and he's taking a leaf from the uh, book of Bergoglio and the book of countless modernists bef before them. It's, it's on one hand, oh yes, we admit that that's the principle that's Catholic teaching, but on the other in practice, we're going to uh, ignore it as if it has no consequences in the realities of the Christian life. And that's exactly what's going on with this. Yeah, it's, it's Vatican II is uh, full of that. You know, a Catholic principle, however, and then a modernist principle. And, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, this would be like saying, well, murder is wrong, but I won't uh, refuse uh, a Catholic funeral to someone who has murdered somebody. And, you know, murder should be illegal, but if you murder somebody, we won't refuse you uh, a Catholic funeral. And, uh, you know, other, it's, it's just nonsense. <laughs> it's always, it's, it's the yes, but, all right, yes, this, but that. Uh, and uh, you know you the uh, you know that could be a, uh, a sort of a structural theme for all of the documents of Vatican II. Uh, when you take the documents on the liturgy, you go through the Constitution and the liturgy. It's yes, but yes, but uh, that well, Latin is supposed to have uh, you know the, the primacy of honor and all this other stuff. But you know there's supposed to be a, uh, a suitable place for the vernacular and. Well, the integrity of the Roman right is to be maintained, but, you know, there should be cultural uh, adaptations so that you could, um, uh, I don't know, swing and sway in, in the African jungle and play with your peace pipe in the, the American West. So it's, it's, uh, it, it's always this, and that's, it's, uh, uh, you know, sort of Hegelian the way it works. And I, I know this story, I haven't put it in the show notes, um, but as we're talking about um, euthanasia and lethal injection, um, what do you think of Bergoglio's recent statements on uh, trying to abolish capital punishment? Well, capital punishment is something that the church has always said is, is licit. Uh, by its general preaching, it is uh, actually commanded in the Old Testament against blasphemers. And uh, so, you know, it, it, it's just a denial of the church's teaching concerning capital punishment. Uh, if you look at any moral theology book uh, that was done before the council, it is always defended. Uh, I, don't, I can't ever remember seeing it criticized in any way in any book that was written before Vatican II. So this is just one more departure. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's of course, a leftist, uh, you know, typical pet leftist idea that we cannot have capital punishment. Yet, as we're going to see later on in the show, he invited in all of these uh, birth control people and abortionists and pro-abortion people uh, to speak at the Vatican uh, uh, hoedown that's a, no, there's an American word for you. Uh, <laughs> climate and population and you know, all of the other uh, leftist agenda. So again, here we have, you know, you, you can't put to death a criminal. Uh, it, the, the objection to it is rooted in the fact that they do not believe that the state wields the authority of God. Yet that is in St. Paul, that the ruler holds the sword, and he doesn't hold it in vain. That's in St. Paul. Now, there's one thing you do with the sword, and that is cut off somebody's head or run it through them. And St. Paul says he does not have that sword in vain. 
which means that he can use it if he wants. And the reason that's in the context of saying all authority comes from God. That's another uh, quote from St. Paul. So that's why the state is able to take the life of someone lawfully if all of the conditions are met uh, concerning his guilt and, and so forth. All of the other legal conditions are met. Uh, the same is true uh, in war. You can take the life of somebody in war if all of the correct moral conditions are met. Uh, so it, it, the murder is defined as the taking of the unjust taking of the life of an innocent person. See, that's what murder is defined as. So, but so this is a socialist principle that the that a state is composed merely of the collection of people. And this collection of people doesn't have the right to take away the life of a criminal. Also, they're all soft on criminals. I mean, you saw Obama let loose, I don't know how many criminals before he uh, uh, resigned or before he, his office was up. Uh, you know, typically they, they are soft on criminals, uh, socialists and leftists. So this is just one more aspect of his leftism. The other thing that I, I noticed in uh, one of his statements about this where, was that he seemed to say that the capital punishment is something that, that is evil in itself, and it's something that is, is forbidden by the gospel. And uh, I mean, when you think of all the other uh, issues on which he refuses to say that something is evil in itself, and that... Uh, uh, to establish such a principle is to be pharisaical and legal-minded uh, and uh, to, uh, you know, turn your back on the love and the mercy of Christ. You can see the, the uh, hypocrisy in that, that it's that something like this, uh, all of a sudden, is evil in itself and cannot be done as against the gospel. But when you talk about something like adultery, well, there's a question of accompaniment and uh, you have to um, listen to the parties involved, etc. So it's, it's uh, again, the typical modernist hypocrisy. Do you, do you think that um, all these comments for, about capital punishment is a sign that Bergoglio's um, another English expression, shaking in his boots, because um, I think a couple of hundred years ago, didn't we used to burn heretics at the stake? And he's aware of his own heresies, and he's, he's worried about being burnt at the stake. <laughs> Nobody's going to burn him at the stake. No. I, I would like to think that, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't think that uh, that's really crossed his, uh, uh, his little pea brain. Uh, if, if, <laughs> if anything, he'll, he would be, uh, you know, disemboweled by, the, uh, uh, by all the immigrants uh, who he wants to let into the country. But I don't think that that's really, that's really a problem for him. Um, so the, the, His Excellency alluded to earlier on, um, our next news story is um, uh, taken from LifeSite News. And this is where the Vatican is hosting a population control conference with um, invited guests who are notorious pro-abortion speakers. Um, these include a guy called John Schnellhuber, Jeffrey Sachs and Peter Raven. Now, I, I find this quite interesting. Why would the Vatican try and influence this? Is it, surely, is there any good in this? 
Why would the Vatican want to to promote this? Because they they are globalists, one worlders. They are on board with the the whole evil scheme of turning this planet into the reign of the Antichrist. That's the answer to that question. And this is this is just uh, one more step toward that very thing. I mean, if you read the the biographies of these all of these people that were were speaking here, I mean, these are the most radical people. These are like the Nazis of of you know world uh, uh, government and you know one worldism and uh, the UN and everything and and uh, uh, praising the Chinese population control laws and. I mean, you don't, you, you can't get any more left than these people, uh, and they are, as the expression goes, hanging off the uh, port side of the boat. Right? Uh, they're so left, and, and so. Uh, but you know, and again, Bergoglio is a communist. He, he, I, I say he's an atheist. And religion for him is at the service of making a one-world socialist uh, regime. Uh, that's it. That that's religion for him. He can never speak about anything supernatural. It, you know, it, religion is to to save the world uh, from from uh, from the deplorables, essentially. And um, so. The His Excellency alluded to earlier, and as as we've talked about, um, he's just mentioned Bergoglio not being an atheist. Um, a, a famous world leader of ours, um, Vladimir Putin, um, recently was quoted saying, Pope Francis is not a man of God. And uh, this is because of his meddling in politics and claims that um, he uh, obviously says he's meddling. He's not a man of God, which I, I find quite interesting. Well, the, the uh, I think something might under this might uh, be under the heading of a, a broken clock is is uh, right, you know, at least twice a day, because yeah. Putin is a <laughs> KGB product and uh, you know presides over a corrupt, um, uh, a, a very corrupt and a very brutal society. So I think that uh, you know it's 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 a question in terms of uh, the, the realities of, of the pot calling the, the kettle black. And uh, I don't know exactly what uh, Putin's motivation would be for uh, going after Bergoglio like this, but it's, it's probably to um, get the sympathies of the orthodox schismatics whom uh, whom he's consistently uh, supported in the the former Soviet Union, so I don't think that it's uh, really uh, all that uh, all that significant, you know. Comment by by uh, the former KGB agent. Yeah, I I, I think uh, uh, it's it's just it's just interesting how that's probably the first criticism of Pope Francis I've seen, bar um, Donald Trump's um, infamous. Building walls and uh, building walls is not a Christian thing to do, despite um, uh, Bergoglio living surrounded by a wall in the Vatican. But um, I think yeah. it's forty feet high, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> they should knock that down and, and bring in the gypsies. 
and then let's see what uh, let's see what happens. Oh, they they <laughs> could uh, they could knock the wall down and um, ship it to America for the Mexicans to build the wall. <laughs> ship it to Texas. I think that's where they have the problems. Oh my! Yeah, it, it's. I mean, uh, I wouldn't say that Putin is exactly a man of God either. Uh, <laughs> he's certainly done. How would you say? Uh, I, I would Question, say he's better than Bergoglio. I'll say that. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, he's. He's. Uh, I, I think he's a. He's an old KGB agent that uh, wants to see the Soviet Union back up and running. And has some good ideas here or there in the other place, but you know he, he's trying to recreate that old uh, communist world. He's he's friendly with all you know the communist states like uh, Venezuela and North Korea and all. And you know, yeah, it's it's hard for him to criticize somebody as not a man of God when he himself is is really uh, one with everything that is deplorable about Russia in the past seventy years or a hundred years. What am I saying? Hundred years. But what is interesting is that there's no official uh, celebration of the October Revolution. No, you're right. It, it's a, when is it? Is it the 27th of October? When is it? Is it the 27th of October? Well, it depends because it's really the November Revolution. They were on the old calendar at the time. It was October in Russia. It was November here. Yeah. I think there's a 10-day yeah. or 11, 12-day difference. And so it's, I, I don't know what they're observing, if they're observing anything, but, uh, but there's no official state observance of it, which I thought was good. So, uh, but any case, you know, I mean, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but, uh, but he does say a lot of good things, Putin. Every time I hear him speak, I agree with what he says. I'll have to say that. Uh, but... Uh, uh, but you know his his whole uh, well. I mean that's probably not a Francis Watch topic. You know <laughs> that was a whole other topic. His whole uh, you know he, he wants to see the recreation of the old communist world. I think. Yeah. Um, so to move on some topics there. Uh, this was uh, suggested by our friends at Novus Auto Watch uh, for comments. So it's not it's not quite in the theme of a Morris Letizia in action, um, but this is the Pope uh, invoking his quote magisterial authority to declare liturgy changes uh, quote irreversible. Um, so this this new story broke in early August. Um, however, it's it's only. We're only coming to cover it now. Um, so uh, Pope Francis sent shockwaves through conservative and semi-traditionalist Novus Ordo land as he declared with magisterial authority that the liturgical form is irreversible. Um, and I think this kind of foreshadows what we're going to talk about later with the uh, um, filial correction. Um, but is that quite a bold statement for him to make, do you think? It's a completely it's stupid, stupid statement for him. <laughs> stupid. Boldly stupid. Because the liturgical reforms are not the object of magisterium. They are laws. Yeah. And just as, as Paul VI undertook and John XXIII undertook to change all the laws, 
There's a, a saying in Latin, par in parem potestatum non habet, an equal does not have authority against an equal. He can't say that the liturgical reform is irreversible. It's just, a, I mean, it, let's just call it law for the time being without referring to his non-papacy. But just say it's, it's law. The, the, he can't say that's irreversible. Somebody could come in after him and totally throw out the whole thing in one day with a, with a stroke of a pen. He wouldn't even have to sign it. He could just say it. The whole thing could be thrown in the trash by a single act of the will of a true pope. Now, Your Excellency, I think, I think the, the, the heart of the problem here is that he's probably been reading all of those Society of St. Pius X polemics about, quote, primum being irreversible. And that has, that has gotten to his little brain. <laughs> What His Excellency says is absolutely correct, and the um, uh, the idea that a liturgical law somehow cannot be changed is indeed stupid. But um, in the reaction uh, to this, I didn't see anyone point out this particular error. That is not a question of of, of uh, magisterium, but people did get huffy. Uh, obviously about the idea behind it, which means that the liturgical reforms, as far as he's concerned, are irreversible and, uh, you know, will continue in the future. Yeah, it's, but, you know, others said that too. I think, uh, I think John Paul II said the same thing. He said ecumenism yeah. is irreversible. I, I know he said that. But there have been equivalent yeah. statements that, you know, we're not going back on this. And, uh, that's just nonsense. Again, you know, it, it's uh, uh, it's it's just law. It's a question of law, and laws can be undone by anybody who has the power to undo them. But magisterial no. authority. I mean, who is he kidding? What's you know? He's such an idiot. You know, I mean, that means he doesn't know the first thing about the, the very nature of his supposed office. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't know the ABCs of papacy. <laughs> I mean, this is theology 101. This, this is the basics of ecclesiology. There, there should be a Dr. Seuss book about this or something to explain it to him. <laughs> well, wasn't he recently declared a racist or something like that? Wasn't that the latest thing over here? Remember Mrs. Melania Trump gave Dr. Seuss books to some... Uh, some school in Boston, and they were rejected because he was considered a racist. No kidding. Wow. <laughs> About a month or so ago, yes. They rejected Melania's gift. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so be careful what you she made, she made. She made quite a cutting remark back to them, which uh, uh, goes to show her intelligence. I don't have it to, the, uh, to hand right now, but yeah, it, it was a very interesting um remark back no on the the liturgical on the liturgical issue though um where he talks about the reform being irreversible the interesting development which we don't seem to have on the uh, the show plan was something that happened uh, about a week ago that this conservative uh african cardinal cardinal sarah uh, who is the head of the congregation for divine worship uh issued a statement interpreting 
a, um, a document that Bergoglio had issued about uh, giving the uh, authority to um, approve translations into the vernacular language back to the bishops' conferences. So Bergoglio had put out this, this um, document called, I think, uh, Monium Principium. And uh, the, it at first uh, upset conservatives because that's indeed it seemed to give the bishops' conferences, uh, again, authority over the translations, which uh, under Ratzinger and under JP II had been taken over by the Vatican. So uh, what happened though is Sarah uh, issued a statement saying that, uh, well, Bergoglio's uh, Monium Principium uh, did not in fact necessarily mean that the authority was given to the bishops' conferences, that re really it was, uh, this was still retained by, uh, by Rome, by his, his congregation. Well, Bergoglio uh, put out a uh, letter very, very quickly uh, uh, telling Sarah and telling the world that no, in fact, uh, it is the bishops' conferences that now have the authority to do this. So, uh, you know, he made sort of a lightning filial correction of his own or cardinalatial uh, correction of, of, of this guy. So he can, he can act quickly when he wants to. And that's something extremely significant for uh, conservatives. If you know the history of the destruction of the liturgy in um, uh, the post-Vatican II church, uh, you know that uh, first there was a series of, of uh, translations that more or less uh, represented what was going on in Latin. And then there was a whole bunch of, there was a whole new set of translations that had next to no connection to uh, the, the Latin text they were supposedly translating. So, you know, for instance, the word grace like disappeared uh, completely. Uh, it appeared, I think, it was in like 11 of the collects in the, during the green season of the church, and it didn't appear once in the English. Well, in any event, this, this drove the conservatives crazy. So finally, under JP2 and, and Ratzinger, um, uh, the different bishops' conferences were forced to um, put together a more accurate translation of the Latin. Uh, in, in, into the vernacular, and this drove the um, uh, liberals and the modernists crazy. So um, uh, the uh, conservatives, on the other hand, and the Ratzingerites thought it was a big victory. But then what happened is Bergoglio, with his Monium Principium, is reversing all of that, and is making that very clear. It's to go back to the bishops' conferences. So uh, once again, the guy in the pew will get sort of free form um, uh, translations of the Latin Novus Ordo, which is, of course is bad enough already. So this is uh, that statement of Bergoglio um, uh, slapping down uh, Cardinal Sarah in the past couple of weeks was is, uh, extremely significant for the man in the pew. Um, yeah, I, I had planned to cover the fallout from that, um, uh, the next Francis watch. Um, I couldn't, couldn't fit it into the show plan. Um, so um, we don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> well, I got on my liturgy hobby horse. What can I say? <laughs> um, I, I mean, so to, to um, uh, close out this section, um, 
um, there is uh, an, an article where I, I've, I've put as um, a brackets insert witty father Chicada joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is uh, um, Cardinal Caffera, who's one of the Dubia Cardinals and the second Dubia Cardinal to pass away this year. Um, and um, I was just going to uh, merely suggest, is that a coincidence that two have been knocked off this year? Well, the thing is, I actually have to use a stolen joke. Someone said that, well, <laughs> if I were Cardinal Burke, I'd be hiring a, f- a food taster at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so since, since two of them were knocked off, and the other guy is like 88 or something, so uh, Burke, uh, <laughs> the, the, maybe their days are numbered. <laughs> well, there's... There's a whole list of, as we'll come to later, there's a whole list of people that might need to be hiring food tasters in the, in the, the short period of time. Um, so I, I think we'll close out that um, section of the show there. And there's um, uh, the rest of the stories that we have are just uh, more of the same and uh, Vatican II, as my Lord would say. Um, so I'd just like to, as as we already know, um, uh, Bergoglio's... Uh, intelligence isn't that great and uh, there's been some extreme amounts of uh, verbal diarrhea that have issued forth from him and um, that's British understatement (laughs) well I am English so I am trying to put it in the most polite way I can possibly imagine (laughs) (laughs) it's like the Kowaka Mania in Rome it's uh, the, the 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 volume of uh, uh, stuff that's flowing, uh, you know, you, you can't imagine it possibly getting any bigger. <laughs> See, leave it to the Americans to spell it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I just want to break break down a few quotes in a bit more detail and um, see if we can... Um, well, we, we don't really need to see if we can pull apart, but I'd, I'd just like to... Uh, highlight um, to those listeners who still think he is the Holy Father to highlight why would a Holy Father say this so um, I've labelled this as the quote of the month and uh, my Lord and Father if we look over the other quotes you uh, you can judge um, if this is the quote of the month but I I found it quite hilarious Um, so he said it's not Christian to walk looking down as pigs do they always go like this without (laughs) raising their eyes to the horizon as if all our journey ended here in the span of a few metres of travel, as if there was no aim in our life and no landing, and we are all constrained to an eternal wandering without any reason for our many toils. This isn't Christian. So, basically, um, if you look, walk looking down, well, you're a pig. I, I, I think that uh, as uh, they used to say on uh, Warner Brothers' Looney Tunes at the end, Porky the Pig would come out and say, That's all for <laughs> I mean, what else? What else could you say? <laughs> You're talking about pigs. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's really nothing to say. Uh, you know, it's just the, the ravings of a person that is a very low IQ and doesn't understand anything about uh, Christianity. That's the only thing I could say I, about. I it. think we, I think we should re- entitle uh, this part of the show the True Restoration Comedy Hour. I think. 
because <laughs> it is it is farcical but it, it's full of modernism uh the you know the uh that a business of the horizon you, you know your horizon that's a typically modernist and father chicada will remember that you know to what are your horizons from the 1960s this man is a relic of the 1960s uh, and that's where his brain shut down. It was, you know, 1969. That was the end of any information that ever entered his brain. Little that there was. And <coughs> nothing has happened since. Yeah. It's like he got all of his theology from those felt banners they used to put up in the church. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a feature of the 60s, you know, where uh, love is everywhere and, uh, you know, hallelujah. <laughs> And uh, you know, all sorts of uh, all sorts of crazies. It's it's like, uh, as I say, felt banners or bumper stickers. Maybe that's the type of theology it is. This is self help. See, this is not anything about heaven or hell or anything. This is self help. You know, you need to keep your horizons uh, high and you know keep your eyes up. It's all just uh, it's socialism, uh, humanism. You know, I mean, it's it's. Uh, it's just terrible. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, yeah, it is amusing. You know, I think Father Chicada's, uh take on on Porky Pig or whatever his name was, uh, Looney, Looney Tunes. Yeah, yeah, Looney Tunes. I think that's about it. I think that's all it deserves. Yeah, it's the the the, the end of Looney Tunes. But I mean, this 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 <laughs> this trivia stuff, though. Um, there was something the Novus Ordo Watch uh, sent out this morning. And, uh, you know, some, some typical Bergoglio statements of sort of impenetrable uh, nonsense. I'm trying to find it here. What was it? Oh, he said something like, um, uh, you know, the, that uh, uh, entering the uh, abyss of mercy, uh, uh, there is only the embrace of love. Okay, that was in the sermon this morning. Well, <laughs> you, what does that mean? And uh, you can you can flip it, the the uh, the abyss of mercy where there is the embrace of love, and you can flip it to say, well, the abyss of mercy where there is the embrace of love, or the abyss of 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 love where there's the embrace of mercy, <laughs> and you know, ooh, it's really deep. Okay, get out the felt banners and the bumper stickers, and why don't we uh, ask we're, that we're, Jorge, we're to... Jorge Galat about the embrace of mercy or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's, the abyss of excommunication. That's where he is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it's a, uh, but that's what you get. It Again, it's this, this 60s nonsense that uh, defies a logical, uh, logical explanation that, you know, might kind of sound good if you don't think about it. And, uh, but basically is idiotic. You have to be careful with their 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 is their is comparisons all the time. That's how they really crank out the. That's how they really crank out the nonsense. Um, I've got a, a couple more uh, off the cuff comments here. So, communists are Christians. Um, refusing communion to adulterers is pharisaical, and no war is just. Um, which again, you could probably have that in a self help document. No, these are these are uh, denials of Catholic doctrine. Uh, ask Pius XI what he thinks about whether communists are Christians or not, or Pius XII who excommunicated communists. 
they did not get the embrace of love from Pius XII. Uh, no, communists, by their very nature, are atheists and obviously are not Christians. But because he is a communist and he sees Christianity in the service of, of communism, then they go together because Christianity is for humanity. See, and communism is for humanity. So then, then there's your syllogism. See, it's a conclusion. Communists are Christians. Uh, he's a communist. If, if you don't understand that about him, you, you understand nothing. Uh, and he, he forces the church, uh, he makes the church an altar boy of communism. Or an, or an altar girl, my lord. We need to be, uh, you know, genderly non-biased. <laughs> or, yeah, or a transgender server where you don't, you're not really too sure which, you know, whether it's AC or DC. Uh, the uh, refusing communion to adulterers is pharisaical. You know, is adultery a sin or not? You know, Christ says it's a sin. St. Paul says it's a sin. And it's a mortal sin. You go to hell for adultery. So in what way is it pharisaical to enforce the moral law by refusing them Holy Communion? Why is that pharisaical? You see, it is just such an absurd statement that it's just like throwing a rock at somebody to say, well, you know, it's pharisaical. It has no basis at all in Catholic doctrine. As a matter of fact, it is a denial of Catholic doctrine because it means that adulterers are doing nothing wrong. That is a denial of infallible Catholic moral doctrine. It's a heresy. And to say no war is just is, again, another denial of Catholic doctrine. I'm trying to think if you could say that that's, uh, you know, it might just be the Catholic moral doctrine. But in any case, mm -hmm. Catholic moral doctrine. And, and it's obviously just to declare war on people. The Church has always... Uh, uh, defended the right of the just war, the right of self-defense. It has set down some very clear principles when war is just uh, through its theologians and its general teaching. But, uh, for example, you can think of Lepanto. Uh, that was organized by St. Pius V. And uh, then you can think of the Rosary Crusade for the battle against the Turks outside of Vienna. Uh, that uh, I forget what Pope that was in the 1600s. Is that St. Pius V? No, well, that was 1571. But in the 1600s, there was a, uh, a battle outside of Vienna. The Turks always wanted to take Vienna. And they were driven back. And that, that was why we have the, uh, I think, the Feast of the Holy Rosary. I think that was the, uh, no, the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary. Holy Name, yes, that was it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... You know, to say that those wars were not just uh, is, is to say that the popes were approving mortal sin and that we should have let the Turks come in and uh, it, it make the whole European continent Islamic. That was their purpose and function. Now they're invited in. They, they don't have to uh, take up arms. Uh, they just have to walk in uh, or swim in, as the case may be. Uh, and uh, so... Uh, and, and Europe is becoming Islamic uh, as we speak. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, again, it, this is just another stupid statement. It, 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 you know, 
the man, it just says things from the top of his head and there's nothing in that head. There, it, you know, it's cotton, hay, and rags underneath that skull. And, and you know, he, he just doesn't know what he's talking about, this man. It was uh, Pope Innocent the Ninth, my lord. And um, the, the interesting part is the Pope also upgraded the papal coat of arms by adding a Polish-crowned white eagle and the Polish king was um, granted the uh, title Defensa Fide as well. See, we're not we're not all just uh, common uh, news, you know, gutter news on this show. We were all about history as well. So, <laughs> well, uh, so you 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 might also add that it was as a result of the uh, uh, defeat of the Turks at Vienna that uh, uh, the drinking of coffee became popular in the West because the Sultan's army took off and uh, like very quickly when Sobieski showed up and they left behind uh, this sort of strange looking type of bean uh, and the people who defeated them discovered it was called coffee and thus coffee was introduced into the, into the West. Also the croissant was invented at that time because the Viennese, in their wonderful bakeries that where they make great desserts, yeah. did it in order to celebrate the victory, made these rolls, these sweet rolls, or whatever you want to call them, uh, in uh, the shape of a crescent as a way of uh, celebrating the feast. So you can have your coffee and your croissant and, and you know think about the defeat of the Turks before the gates of Venice. <laughs> and that'll certainly wake you up. <laughs> Vienna, yeah, that'll wake me. Yeah, I, need, I think I need a coffee. Vienna. <laughs> there you go, listeners. When you have your morning coffee, make sure you have a croissant now and listen to this show and you'll have learned something. <laughs> uh, so as we as we will go back to uh, discussing the strange things that Bergoglio says. Um, so I think I think we'll, we'll skip the rest of the quotes because they're all they're all pretty just um, farcical, shall we say. Um, but the, the one that um, rings true with what um, Father mentioned earlier on was um, this was um, at the end of September, the Pope again, or Bergoglio said, um, Catholics are often scandalized by mercy, um, which is very strange, um, a strange concept to think of. Um, and uh, I think the the final quote in that um, uh uh, homily that he gave was the door to meet Jesus is recognizing that we are sinners, uh, which is again I think more of your nineteen uh, sixties uh, philosophies coming in there. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it's uh, as I say, put it on a felt banner and all will be well. <laughs> Bumper sticker as well. <laughs> um, so I, I think, to be honest, my lord and father. Um, we we could we could uh, continue the comedy hour for you know for a ages yet because he's he's already his um, torrent of garbage that he's given us over the past um, four years as um, is overflowing and um, I, I think to be honest we'll probably have more of these quotes <laughs> to come and uh, long may he live <laughs> vivat um, yes. Yes, that's right. Vivat Bergoglio. <laughs> the best <laughs> argument <Bergoglio>. against Vatican <laughs> II, uh, the, and the best proof of what it is that you'll ever see. 
Right. Um. So I'd, I'd like to move in um, a little bit earlier than planned, but um, I, I think we need a, a, a quite a chunk of time to discuss this, um, which is the filial correctors. Um, so to set the scene, I, I need a I need like a drum roll sound effect. But um, uh, so the Novus Ordo world that almost sounds like a rock group or something. Yeah. Filial correctors, does ring to it. If, if you've seen some of the names on the filial correctors, then you'll uh, you'll probably will um, reconcile them with a rock band. <laughs> uh, so, the Novus Ordo world is in uproar. A group of clergy and laity affiliated with the Vatican II sect have solemnly accused Pope Francis of heresy. In a 25-page document entitled Correctio Filiales de Heresibus Propagatis, um, 62 now is the official number, um, Novus Ordo scholars accuse um, Bergoglio of seven heresies. And um, um, I, there is actually a website dedicated to it um, called Correctio Filiales. So um, if you don't believe what we're saying here, please read it yourself, listeners. And... Um, Crikey, where where do we begin, my lord? It's uh, it's a murky world. There's positive and negative about this. The the positive is that finally the and we're going to take these as these people as representatives of the Novus Ordo conservatives. They have realized that he has not only fallen into heresy, but he has promulgated heresies to the whole church. That is a, an admission which for them is devastating because uh, you know, they might argue up and down and around about a pope falling into heresy, but you can't argue about a pope promulgating heresy to the whole church. Uh, that, is, that involves the indefectibility of the Catholic Church and the infallibility of the magisterium. And don't forget that uh, uh, Bergoglio said that this is ordinary magisterium, this Amoris Laetitia. He made that statement a number of weeks or months after it. So, I mean, this is a clear, uh, you know, admission for them that, that they can't really back up on and, and which contains all the logic of what we have been saying for years and years and years, that this cannot be the Catholic authority that is teaching us this because the Catholic authority cannot teach this. It is part of the indefectibility of the Catholic Church. Now, they have not brought it to that point, but they have admitted one of the, the premises of our syllogism. The other premise is that it is impossible that the Catholic Church promulgate heresies to the, that the, you know, a true pope, it is impossible that a true pope promulgate heresies to the whole church. That's, and you can't dispute that. You, you would have to deny the, 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 the creed. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Uh, St. Thomas says what that means is I believe in the Holy Ghost assisting the Catholic church. That's what, he, he, that's what you're saying there. Is that the object of your faith is actually the third person of the Blessed Trinity as he is assisting the Catholic church. So you can't deny our first principle. 
they have up to now denied the second part of the syllogism by uh, offering all sorts of crazy uh, and, and ludicrous explanations of the obvious heresies that have been promulgated by Vatican II and by all John Paul II, Paul VI, and especially by Bergoglio, uh, trying to put a cloak of orthodoxy on them with all sorts of interpolations and interpretations and, and spin that really just doesn't work uh, and, and which militates against common sense. That's what they have been doing up to now for the past 50-some years. This is a, a shocking admission on their part. And so the conclusion is from the, the, the syllogism, the reasoning that I just proposed, this man cannot be the Pope. Not only he is not the Pope, he cannot be the Pope. It is impossible that he be the Pope because if he is, you would have to deny the indefectibility of the Catholic Church and the magisterium. So uh, they are really, uh, you know, up to their eyeballs in, in a whole new way of thinking about uh, Vatican II and the Church. Uh, so I would say that's the positive aspect about it. The negative aspect... Yes, Go ahead, Father. Well, I, I was going to say that um, the way this would be characterized uh, in, uh, I guess, in sociology or, or in, in the study of organizations and in uh, the idea of human thought in general in society is it's a paradigm shift, they would say. So it's like a total change of focus that uh, the... Uh, uh, what they are, are, are admitting to is, of course, stuff that we were saying, uh, you know, in the 70s when it was regarded as, as, as crazy and insane and the, the work of fanatics, uh, etc. Um, and just it, it was something that you couldn't even mention, you couldn't even talk about uh, in uh, polite company. But now, thanks to Bergoglio, this is, has, has uh, uh, shifted uh, Completely, it shifted their 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 focus completely, uh, so that uh, you're right. It is it, it it's a uh, really startling change of how they regard uh, Vatican II and what's happened. Yes, so that that's I think that's the positive aspect that you know these people are very representative of the Novus Ordo conservatives. Maybe not all of them agree, but. They are very representative, and, and I think it, it will uh, open their eyes a little bit. The negative aspect is that they are confining it to these heresies of Bergoglio. But the, the root of the heresies of Bergoglio lie, lies in Vatican II. So they are still trying to salvage, apparently, Vatican II and keep the cloak of orthodoxy on Vatican II. And they don't realize that Bergoglio is just applying the principle of Vatican II that the conscience, someone's individual conscience, has precedence over the teaching of the church and over the moral law. And this we see particularly in ecumenism and in religious liberty. And I won't go into that. I mean, that would be a whole other show. But the, those two things, uh, the, uh, 
those two things uh, are, are very indicative of it. And that is a, a thoroughly Protestant and modernist notion that your individual conscience is supreme and the, the teaching of the church is merely something that is um, ideal or in some way directive, uh, but it is not something that you must adhere to. And, and this is the problem, is that uh, they do not see uh, these terrible heresies of Bergoglio as being merely just an outgrowth of that. Ecumenism is a far worse heresy than what he's saying about adultery and fornication. Far, far worse. But it's just that it has taken something as dirty and filthy as adultery and fornication to slap them in the face and say, oh, something is really wrong here. But when you think of the ecumenical abominations of John Paul II, uh, kissing the Koran and do, doing various other things, you name it, uh, you name a religion and he participated in it, those are far, far worse than anything that Bergoglio is saying or doing here. Because this, what Bergoglio is saying and doing, comes from that evil principle, that, that conscience takes precedence over magisterium. And all, he's, all Bergoglio is doing is citing essentially that principle. He is saying, if you have a discernment, if you sit down and talk to each other, you know, you're, you're two fornicatory, you're a fornicatory couple, and you sit down and talk to each other and say, do you think we're doing anything wrong? And then the other one says, no, I don't think we're doing anything wrong. That's a discernment. And then they approach the communion rail. Or there's no communion rail. The, 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 the lady handing out the, the uh, communion wafers. That, that's, they, can, they can approach the communion wafer lady. Uh, and, and, uh, or, or transgender, whatever. And, and uh, uh, so that, that's... Uh, that's the negative aspect, one of the negative aspects. The, uh, the other negative aspect is that they are thinking that this fixes the problem, that, that he is now uh, corrected and therefore fixed, that, that this is done and everything's okay now because he's, he's promulgated heresies to the church and this handful of people say, you know, you've done the wrong thing and now we're done. You see, we've done our duty, and the church is back on track. You know, the locomotive fell off, but, uh, you know, we've put it back on. Everything's okay because we corrected him. And that is so fraught with, with problems, I, I can't even start. Uh, as if, you know, who, who anointed the, the 60 or so as correctors of the Roman pontiff? I mean, you know, what person of the Blessed Trinity gave them the power to correct the Roman pontiff. And how does it fix the problem? It alerts the problem. It, bells should go off, sirens. My goodness, the, this person who claims to be Pope is promulgating heresies. You couldn't think of a more alarming situation in the whole world and in the history of the world than that. And, you know, and they still don't get it. You know, they... they they, they think that this is, this is the way to, to you know, fix it. That is a problem. Uh, but I would say overall, though, it's a step in the right direction. I, I don't want to totally denigrate it. 
uh, it is a step in the right direction. It is a sign of uh, a consciousness that they now have of really, uh, you know, they may not want to admit it, but they are conceding what we have always said. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I think it uh, you know, might take a long time for them to regain their eyesight now that the blindfold is off. But the, I, I think that they will be drawn more to what we are saying and agree more with what we are saying. Uh, yes, indeed. And uh, the, uh, <clears throat> I point out to listeners that His Excellency's uh, newsletter for this past month is a really interesting and excellent analysis of the, uh, of the correction, the so-called filial correction. And uh, it's uh, really uh, worth a read uh, either, of course, as a benefactor of the seminary, uh, you can also access it eventually on the seminary's website, Most Holy Trinity Seminary. Um, one of the things that um, somewhat surprised me about the uh, filial correction is that uh, it was not, it did not seem to me as clearly written as a statement that had appeared maybe six months ago. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that one, Your Excellency. It was a number of, uh, uh, a number of, of uh, academics, I think about 50 people again, who uh, actually laid out the different propositions and put theological notes on them. That didn't get a reaction for some reason from the Vatican, even though the people seemed to be um, similarly prominent. Uh, but the, 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 the um, Vatican itself, uh, uh, Perelin, the Secretary of State, actually reacted to this, which this, this latest thing is filial correction, which is uh, uh, interesting. So they, they are getting... Uh, they felt that it, it created at least enough heat for them to say something yeah, it's, about it. Uh, I, I think it's a significant development in the history of the of the traditional movement. I would say that you know it's uh, we'll see where it goes from here. But uh, the the glass is broken, so to speak. Uh, the you could not possibly uh, you know criticize the state of a cantist after you said something like this. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> you've, you, you've, you know, conceded the game, so to speak. I mean, it's not a game, but I'm saying that you, you've, you've conceded the principles that lead to our conclusion. So what are you going to say? You're wrong? You know, you're the ones calling him a heretic. <laughs> you're the ones saying, not even calling him a heretic. He's promulgated heresy. That's, that's a thousand times worse than being a heretic. <laughs> The thing I find most interesting is that um, on the Correctio Fialis uh, website, you can actually, it, all the signatories are listed and um, there's some quite eminent professors and uh, doctors and um, also um, uh, columnists in newspapers. And um, a lot of them have, I mean, there's, I think the one chap on there has at least 20 post nominals after his name. So he's obviously studied something quite quite in depth and despite all of the sum total of academic qualifications listed in the signatory list um, no one was actually intelligent enough to ask the question or the elephant in the room was uh, can a person that you just accused of heretic 
be a Catholic. Yeah, they they have a, a an a, an utter abhorrence of sedevacantism, and they will figure out some way to avoid sedevacantism. I think they're going to say that, well, we've corrected him, and you know, therefore everything's okay now, or something else. They'll come up with something else, but down deep, uh, I, the the conclusion is so obvious that I think that they will eventually see it or at least soften up to it. Uh, but right now, they're still very, very uh, uh, disgusted by the thought of sedevacantism. They, they, they can't bear up. Uh, and the reason is that, you know, they see it as sort of pulling the sheets over the church. You know, that, that if you say that he's not the Pope, well, then, then we have no church and everything's fooey. Uh, and and I think that's what they, they as uh, what they see about it that they don't like or that's how they perceive it. But if you have a pope promulgating heresies to the church, <laughs> that's a lot worse than having no pope. That's uh, the the sheet is over the the face already. <laughs> I mean the body's lowered into the grave. You, you have you have a defected church. You have a church in defection, an indefectible church in defection. If you maintain that that man is the Pope and that he has promulgated heresies to the whole church concerning morals, because the church is infallible concerning faith and morals, and he says it, it's ordinary magisterium, if you put all of those things together, uh, that you have morals, it's contained in Revelation, thou shalt not commit adultery, all right, it's contained in Revelation. You couldn't get anything clearer than that. Uh, all the condemnations of St. Paul concerning adulterers, the very words of our Lord concerning adulterers. All right, so it's in Revelation. He says it's ordinary magisterium, and it's promulgated to the whole church's ordinary magisterium. And all of the, of the bishops promulgated it with very few exceptions, the, the probably 98%. I mean, maybe you had you know, one or two that raised an objection to it. But you have all of the ingredients of what we call universal ordinary magisterium. And that's infallible, according to, to Vatican I, the First Vatican Council. It's infallible teaching. So you, they, they have really put themselves into the, the, the hot seat on this one. Maybe they don't realize. Well, they, they, have, they have, Your Excellency, from the point of view of, of uh, the, uh, the Catholic doctrine in terms of the, the authority of the Roman pontiff and, and the infallibility of the universal ordinary magisterium. But the impression that I get from uh, dealing you know, with, with some of these people is that they dismiss uh, those principles, the principles that you've uh, enunciated, uh, with something like saying, oh, that's just the old manual theology, or that this is this was uh, papalatry, or you know, this is really ultramontanism, etc. So I think maybe for part of them, the explanation maybe, or the, the excuse, or the wiggle, uh, the, the way that they wiggle out would be to say that, well, would be because they do not uh, accept the ironclad principles that uh, traditional Catholic theology lays down when it comes to the authority of the, the uh, Roman pontiff and the universal ordinary magisterium. So they, they, they 
would uh, dismiss it or a portion of them would uh, dismiss it because of that because that's what they've been fed by uh, outfits like the Remnant or the Society of St. Pius X or um, Indult Group. Yes, the we resist you to your face people. And that, that's, yeah. that's the way the church fixes itself by the fact that uh, a small group of people resist him to his face. Uh, and and yeah. Yeah, then it's then everything's okay. It's like, uh, yes, it's like taking a pill and everyone feels better. Uh, no, that's true. Yeah, that's right. That they are, uh, they are deceived about what the nature of the church is and what the nature of the magisterium is. They are very much deceived. So, yeah, they will take refuge in that. But still, I, I think that the, the admission is devastating for them. I mean, and I'm happy that they admitted it, mm -hmm. but, you know, from their own point of view... Uh, it, it, they would have a very hard time denying our conclusion. Very hard time. Yeah, well... I mean, uh, imagine the Cisco and Salsa. <laughs> I didn't see their names on it. I don't think they were they on it. I don't know. Uh, I can confirm what I checked before coming on air. Their names are most definitely um, attributed to this document. Okay. Oh, they As, are. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really? Um, it actually, so it, um, the website goes off um, by date, so when it first came out in um, September, and then every time someone signs up to it, it, um, it updates, and um, there, there have been more people um, than, the, I think it was like 50-something when it first went out, but now more people have put their names to it. And uh, a lot of them are, are, are laymen, there's a few lay, lay women in there, um, um, a couple of nuns. Uh, there's, there's quite a few. It's quite quite an interesting list. Um, I mean, I certainly recognise names from people who um, live in the UK, and uh, I'm sure, my Lord Father, you'll probably recognise names from people in the US or other missions yeah. you visited. See if Fillet signed it, then um, uh, you know it's it's which he did. Uh, it's. Uh, uh, that's an admission, you know, the, by him at least, that it's reconcilable to the old R&R &R, um, uh, interpretation, you know, that, that this has, has no practical effect, that we're just sort of saving things here. We're saving the church here. We're sifting the magisterium. Uh, and this is a big rock that won't go through the sifter. Yeah. yeah. No, that that's that's it. Uh, no, no, that's the that, that's their OS, their operating system, uh, and uh, yeah. you know, you can't change that. No, you can't. It was quite interesting. It was quite interesting that um, Bishop Fillet um, signed it, and one other member of the SSPX clergy signed it, but no others. Um, and that was uh, Father Bruciani, the District Superior of the UK, signed it, as well as um, Bishop Fillet. Well, the rest of it, I'm sure, um, were afraid and... that the party line would change and uh, that they'd <laughs> yes. get their heads cut yeah. off. So uh, that's how that goes. But I think, uh, yes, I think Bishop Fillet <laughs> has uh, closed the curtain on, on the uh, reconciliation show uh, by doing this. I mean... I think they, they have no hope with Bergoglio now of, of getting reconciled, uh, it would seem to me. Uh, so I was surprised to see him there because he has been pursuing a line of 
one compromise after another and one shameful silence after another concerning, uh, you know, things that he should condemn. And uh, I, I was very surprised to, to see him there. Uh, uh, and also it, it raises the question again of consecration of bishops. If Bergoglio lasts another three or four years, you know, uh, as I often say, they have a ticking clock on bishops. And if they go ahead and consecrate bishops without their, without authorization, they're going to go back into excommunication land. They won't get the embrace of mercy. Uh, uh, you know, they're going to uh, get a, a big crack. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just wondering, I'm wondering, I, I'm, I was just very surprised to see him there. And I was surprised that they invited him to, to sign because, I mean, you know, he, he's not in communion, you know, with them. He, he's, they're, they're still schismatics in their eyes, and, and uh, otherwise there wouldn't be any reconciliation talks if, if, if they were in communion. Because they are rebels, and, and they, they perform illicit ordinations and illicit consecrations, and they're proud of it. And, and they have a, a, an apostolate that is, that is uh, parallel to the Novus Ordo apostolate. You know, and, and besides that, they're all rigid in, in the eyes of Bergoglio. And, so, and there's young people in there, so they're all sick. They're all sick people, sick, according to Bergoglio. Uh, so, I mean, they couldn't get any worse than that. I was just surprised that that whole group of Novus Ordo conservatives invited him to, to sign. And it puts sort of a, an odd color on the whole thing. You know, if you had only loyal... The loyal opposition, meaning you know the Novus Order conservatives who are uh, praising the Holy Father and the Holy Father this and Holy Father that, uh, but who you know go to the new mass loyally, or go to an indult mass or a mode appropriate mass lo loyally, uh, it, it, it just would have been more consistent, I think. Uh, but when you bring somebody in who is officially in rebellion. Uh, I, I was surprised to see that. And somebody commented on it too, somebody in Europe commented on it, that it's a little ironic because it starts out like, oh, your Holy Father, Holy Father, Blessed Holy Father, and so forth. All of this adulation at the beginning, and then they get into the accusation. It's like saying, uh, dear sir, and you know, honor, honorable sir, you are a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of funny. It's it, you know all of this this sweetness and, and chocolates at the beginning, and then and then you know by the way you're 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 teaching dirt. <laughs> yeah, is for me too. It's it's uh, for me too. It seemed to uh, uh, almost discredited. It's you're asking to be discredited. If uh, you ask someone who's outside, officially outside the loop, uh, officially outside the um, Novus Ordo hierarchy, and you ask him to sign it, it doesn't really seem, it uh, seemed like a bad strategic move on the part of the people who were, uh, who were putting it together. I agree with that. Yeah. I was very surprised to see him there. Um, just a, just a, a, f a few quick extra little bits um so 
Rarate Chaley pointed out that it was actually um, foreseen by the great Joseph Ratzinger in 1969, where um, he wrote, um, criticism of papal pronouncements will be possible and even necessary to the extent that they lack support in scripture and creed. And um, additionally, I haven't found any further info on this, but apparently it was also happened to Waitiwa as well. Um, back in the um, 80s, um, it was 101 unorthodoxies. So a document was written to uh, JP2 as well at the time. So I, I don't know if you know any on any bits about that, my lord or father. Well, that was the Abbe de Nantes. I know he did a Liber Accusationis against Paul VI, and he also did one against John Paul II. The Abbe de Nantes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, yeah. that's the only one that I ever heard of with John Paul II. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah, I, 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 am not familiar with anything else with John Paul II, but he was far worse than Bergoglio, in my opinion, far, far worse. Yet he's, he's one of the gods in the pantheon of Novus Ordo conservatives. Or un, unsaint, uh, JP2, as he's, as he's known colloquially. <laughs> and also Ratzinger's comment is typically Protestant, that, that the, that the church, uh, uh, just like Martin Luther, you know, rejected indulgences and rejected this, that, and the other thing, that we are free to reject the magisterium of the church and it has to be corrected, you know, if, if the Pope goes wrong. That is thoroughly Protestant. And, and you know, again, Ratzinger comes in, although he's enshrined as, as probably right in the middle as you walk in, you know, something like the Temple of Jupiter, you see the big statue of Jupiter with the fires burning in front of it from the movies, you know. The, in the columns, you know, you have the statue of Ratzinger and, and people bowing down before it as, as the, the great savior of the church. He was the one that, that spread around all of this radical doctrine. And, and uh, he was one of the, the makers of Vatican II uh, and, and wrote some of those documents. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he's responsible for all of this. He's responsible for Bergoglio. He's one of the thinkers that, that uh, filled up, uh, whose writings filled up the, the brainless uh, Bergoglio's skull during 1960, the 1960s. I mean, yeah, and uh, the, the, you know, the, these Novus Ordo conservatives are all mixed up. Their very principle of making this correction comes from a modernist. And their whole idea of a pope promulgating heresies uh, and uh, which is normal as long as he's corrected, uh, that does not you know, appear to be a, a, an abnormal situation as long as he's corrected. That's all modernism. It comes from modernists. It is not Catholic teaching. It is contrary to Catholic teaching. And it just shows how mixed up these Novus Ordo conservatives are and how poisoned they are by modernism. Uh, and that their attachments to tradition are often very superficial, like Latin mass and vestments and, and other things, but that their, their ideas are, are really, really uh, polluted by modernism. And especially their ideas on, on the authority of the Pope and, and, and the, authority of the, uh, the authority of the magisterium. I found that really very, very shocking when I started to come across that, that uh, you think that the uh, ecclesiology of most of them, um, uh, most of these people who are conservative, 
uh, was basically your standard uh, pre-Vatican II ecclesiology when it came to the authority of the church. But then uh, I've noticed that uh, uh, changing over the, uh, I would say over the past 10 years, that now that idea is, is, um, uh, is dismissed as, as, you know, as I said before, as papalatry. That uh, you can, in fact, uh, challenge the Pope all the time, and uh, you can, in fact, uh, ignore what he says and uh, take things in your own direction. And that, of course, is modernist. And that's one of the effects of the, the wonderful new springtime. Uh, so, so far, he hasn't answered or um, he's made a few off-the-cuff remarks or comments, but there's been no formal answer to this. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's pretty much similar to the dubia um, earlier on in the year. It's just left unsaid. And, you know, this giant document's gone out there and there's no word silence or as my my mother-in-law would say the silence is deafening yes no. <laughs> yes um so i will um link in the show notes um bishop sanborn's um uh, in veritate do- um blog post on it which um, basically gives you a succinct version of what we talked about um, so you can actually print it off and read it as we talk about this uh, so as a as an accompaniment to the show um, so as we we're on a bit of a, a time push today because um, um, uh, his excellency and father have um, other things to do so I'm briefly going to um, end there uh, Paul Stumps shall we say and um, we'll uh, just as we always do we're going to crack off <laughs> crack off right yes my my new british uh my you know a little dictionary of british expressions every time we get on this show i it's, learn a new one it's because i'm more uncouth than matthew gaskin so i, I would come out with more of these uh englishisms um, all right we'll have to teach so, you some americanisms though so so americanisms <laughs> yes so you can use them and you know and surprise us um i did actually there was a um as a a very short aside a um a work colleague recently went to america and it's um an unknown tradition in um most british workplaces that you you sometimes bring back some treats from uh, your vacation and I, I kid you not, he brought back a giant pack of marshmallows. These were these were labelled as giant marshmallows, and they, they were about the size of a you know a, a coffee mug. You know they were absolutely <laughs> huge. And I said to him, "How on earth can I eat this? Um, do I get a knife and fork or something?" And he, he basically just says, "Well, the Americans just put it in their mouth." I think it's. <laughs> 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 He's really pulling your leg. <laughs> well, the truth is that there there is nothing to bring back from this country because we get all the good stuff from Europe. So you know, any all the chocolates and you know everything else that's worth buying, we get from Europe. So there's really nothing to bring back from this this country. I mean, I can't think of a single thing that I could bring over to Europe as a gift. 
because it's all inferior no, to what I you get in Europe. Really, I, I found out recently that apparently um, there's a, a, a sweet called a kinder egg, which is like um, like an uh, like shaped like an egg, and on the inside, uh, so it's chocolate on the outside, but on the inside you've got like a capsule, and inside the capsule is like a child toy. And over in Europe, it's very popular because the child gets to have a nice sweet treat and a little little toy that they can either build or play with. Apparently, it's banned in America because of the choking hazard of the massive capsule. Yes, that's and correct. I- <laughs> there's, a, there's a yeah. That's this is lawsuit city. This is the great city state of, of the lawyers. And, yes, that's you know, right. Everything is lawyered up, and and you know that that could be a multi-million dollar lawsuit for somebody. You see. Yeah, I had, an, in fact, I needed an extension cord for my computer the other day. And uh, there's this lengthy uh, plastic warning that's taped to it about, uh, well, you shouldn't plug it in underwater. You know? and, and all of this stuff is, is serious, you know. Don't use this, this hair dryer in the bathtub. You know? Saying that, there was um, a lady who was tragically killed in um, uh, the UK um about a week ago because she was texting on her mobile in the bath and um she had it on charge and accidentally dropped the phone with complete with charger plugged into the mains into the bath and electrocuted herself and oh my that's terrible uh, of course you have you have higher um uh you use 220 or something right for your uh, your two, two, 240 that's 240 yeah. volts yeah um that it's also really a higher frequency as well. It's uh, 60 hertz. There you go. Yeah. Engine- engineering facts on Francis Watch as well. So, oh, how um, wonderful. Um, I'd I better ask Father first uh, because I'm sure he's dying to tell us about a certain um, gathering that's happening in Cincy this weekend. Yes, we're, we're having a mini YAG. Um, uh, the... Uh, afternoon this coming Sunday from about 1 p.m. to about 6 or 7 p.m. We're uh, running it in the uh, church hall uh, and that's so everyone can have an opportunity to get to one of the morning masses and then uh, come back for it. We put out a, a publicity for it uh, on um, uh, with emails and also on Twitter and we have a picture, I think, of Bergoglio in the Pope Mobile declaring a road trip <laughs> to the uh, October mini A. So <laughs> we suggest that uh, if you're able to take a road trip, you're uh, more than invited to come to the mini AG, and you can register via yagandcincy.wordpress.com. That's yagandcincy.wordpress.com. And um, it's a, I think there's an only a $10 fee for the afternoon. So it uh, uh, should be good. We'd like to keep uh, these mini eggs up uh, periodically and um, uh, sort of promote networking among trads, young trads. We also had a, a 40 hours, very successful this past weekend. And um, the uh, 40 hours devotion uh, festive opening on Friday night and then uh, uh, Adoration Saturday, Adoration Sunday, and then the closing on Sunday night. So that was a uh, uh, another annual activity that uh, we have at St. Gertrude the Great. And 
my lord i know i know you always say life at the seminary is boring but um i'm re- i'm interested to know how's life at the seminary and have you any travel plans in the in the offing well life is boring at the seminary as it always is uh you know uh the students go to go to mass in the morning and say their prayers and then they go to class then they eat and then they recreate and then they go to class and eat and pray and go to bed and that's every single day in the seminary and the uh the priests do pretty much the same <laughs> and so there is a not much to say, but that, that's what produces the good priest, you know, and uh, we're all very busy, all the priests are very busy with uh, uh, their various duties, and, um, you know, so there's not a lot of time, you know, nobody's bored, really, but it, it's just not excitement, you know, we don't have yags, yags do not, uh, <laughs> you know, just don't go with what we do, uh, so we're pretty staid here, and... Uh, <laughs> But uh, one one thing that uh, we're we're sort of indirectly doing is uh, our Skype school, or uh, you know the uh, the virtual school that we've got that up and running. And uh, in addition to our forty five or so kids in our physical school here, we have twenty students in the uh, virtual school, and it's a big success. And you know uh, this is only our first year, but uh, everybody's happy with it, and. Uh, uh, so uh, we're we're just uh, refining, you know, the whole thing and making sure that it runs perfectly. Sometimes, you know, because of some little uh, glitch, you know, somebody's screen goes dark, or you know, so there, there's a lot of troubleshooting about it. But uh, overall, it's going very, very well, and um, uh, so it's uh, very interesting because everybody. All of the the uh, virtual students can see the children in the physical school, so it's one big classroom, even though it's all over this country. And we even have uh, two families signed up in Australia. And uh, great. what they do is because of the time difference, what ha- has to happen is they get the recorded uh, class, but uh, sister at at night goes and uh, goes over the class you know by interacting with them in australia where it's daytime whenever it's night here it's daytime there practically and and uh so they and she asks them questions and and make sure that they they have done their work and that they understand everything so that's the way we're handling australia and they seem to be very happy with it so uh um so that that's a very new thing we're doing uh, uh everybody says that we talk to that nobody's doing it. That this is, you know, really uh, branching out into something entirely new. Uh, and but it uh, it it means that people who have no hope at all of a Catholic school can have a Catholic school. And it also makes homeschooling more formal because the children have to get dressed up to come into the classroom, and they have homework, and they, they you know, it's not mom or dad that is teaching them it's it's some stranger you know 4000 miles away or something and uh, she wants you to do their homework you know and so it it makes it more formal for the kids and and uh, it also takes the pressure off the parents so uh, it, it's uh we're we're happy with the progress of it and we hope that it it uh, helps people in the future the last time i was in uh, florida i've started my teaching weeks by the way down there again 
uh, I went over and I visited it, and uh, Father Selway uh, first explained it to me, uh, kind of how it worked during, uh, uh, the, during lunchtime over at the school. And it was a little hard to put your, uh, uh, to figure out what was going on just from a description. But then finally, when Father got, uh, when the, the bell rang and the classes started up again, it was a very interesting thing to see how well the system works. Uh, the sister in the front of the classroom um, uh, interacting with the students in the classroom uh, and with the uh, students via the internet. And the um, the way it goes is that the uh, sister is, is uh, at, the, uh, at a uh, um, sort of a digital blackboard in the front of the room and uh, the uh, um, remote students are, uh, are seen on a screen in the back of the room at their, their, their desks. And there's uh, extensive interaction. It's very impressive. It's a fast system. And it was the part that was really fun uh, to watch was um, one of the sisters in one of the classrooms, they were uh, having a um, uh, some sort of a, um, a contest in Latin, and it was a question of, of raising your hand if you knew the Latin word, something like that. But the speed at which the sister ran, the it was as if the uh, kids on the screen, who were a thousand miles away, were right there in the classroom uh, answering the questions. It's very, very impressive. So it's, it's uh, uh, going to be a very helpful uh, option for a lot of people who live at a distance from the school. Great. And um, I heard, my lord, it got a little bit windy in uh, huh. Florida recently. <laughs> yes, yeah, we, we took a direct hit of the hurricane. Uh, the hurricane is essentially a tremendous tornado. It turns, uh, uh, you know, in the middle, it, it, there's, a, there's a vortex and in the middle of that vortex is the eye. So you have a wall of wind and rain going around in the middle, which is the worst of it. That wall is the worst of it. And in the middle you have calm, and you can see the stars, and uh, it, it's, it was 17 miles wide in diameter, that, that uh, eye, what they call the eye. And, and we had a direct hit of the eye. And <laughs> the, so, uh, you know, it was an interesting night. It came. It started about 10 p.m. <laughs> and uh, went to about noon the next day. You know, and uh, so. Uh, but we uh, really lost very little. Uh, just a, a soffit fell off from one of our, you know, part of our building. But uh, that could come off in a, in a strong thunderstorm. You know, we've had worse in thunderstorms, but there were some absolutely ghastly. Uh, uh, w uh, wind gusts that I heard anyway. I mean, I'm, I, you know, you're lying in your bed trying to sleep during this and, you know, the lights are completely out. They went out a long time ago. <laughs> and and <laughs> you're hearing these roars of, uh, <laughs> and you think, what is happening outside? And, you know, uh, what does it look like outside? And, you know, something you have to, you have to watch in hurricanes is debris that uh, th things get airborne, even heavy things could get airborne and come in and smash a window and, uh, you know, the rain could come in and, or you could lose your roof, it could pull the roof right off. I mean, this is, this is, this is, uh, we had gusts probably up to 90 or 100 miles an hour 
and uh, that that's all and don't forget it's all packed with rain so that you have water going at 90 or 100 miles an hour on your building uh, that can do a lot of damage now father selway at the place where the nuns are and the school is uh, they had a lot of trees uh, close to the building and they lost 10 of them big oak trees uh, wow yeah 10 uh, and he said to hear them crash at night was absolutely terrifying because he, he stayed over there and um, that's 11 miles from us and uh, uh, so it, they got a little bit worse but we hadn't there was not a single piece of damage nothing at all to to the buildings over uh, at the convent and school despite 10 trees falling down and uh, but we, we lost no tree over here, not a single tree, just a few branches and the soffit. Wow. Uh, but it was a scary night. Uh, but actually what was fortunate is that it, it turned and came over land and made a direct hit on us. But the fact that it did make a direct hit meant that it had to pass over land for about 50 miles. Uh, and that that weakened it. So by the time it got to us, it was only Category 1. Hmm. It started out down south of Florida as Category 4 and 5. That is a killer. Uh, uh, that's just a killer. Uh, but as soon as they go over land, uh, they lose their power. They, they are just operating on their former power. They, they, it's like pulling a plug on a toaster. It's still warm, but, you know, it, it's, uh, it's getting qu rather cool. And, and the same thing is true of those hurricanes. So uh, thank God we, we survived it very nicely. My, my wife and kids were tracking the progress of the hurricane as it went over Brooksville, and they were watching it on the uh, computer screen as it hit. So uh, they, they were there watching the devastation. <laughs> yes. The absolute center of the hurricane was one mile to the west of us. So that, that's wow. how much of a direct hit we took. Yes. The absolute center of the hurricane. That's close. Yes, I know. Um, so I think you've you've got to go shortly, Father. So um, we'll. Uh, yes, indeed, I do. Rack up, uh, whack, crack up there. Oh, I, I, my my verbal diarrhea is coming out. Yeah, what now. about crack uh, up? Now we have crack up. That means to go crazy. <laughs> I don't know if that means the same for you. Ah, uh, yes. So we're going yeah, to well, crack um, off and crack up. <laughs> We'll finish there. So um, I'm just going to say thank you again to my Lord and Father for um, Francis Watch. Well, thank you very much. It's always a uh, pleasure discussing these with you. And I, th I decided to uh, end my comments with the, the now the traditional closing words for any one of Bergoglio's audiences in the audience hall in the Vatican. And it's simply this. <laughs> it's that's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> God bless you all. Well, you have to do that stutter that he used to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, my Lord. God bless you all, and thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Francis Watch. If you have any questions about anything you've heard on today's episode, please email questions at truerestoration.org. We want to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. 
All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful and beneficial to you and your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the restoration, I am Dan Fitton. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.